short song, and uh, it's a good one to have memorized, to remember, uh, to praise our God. Well, we're, we're going to uh, go back to the Trinity, and uh, I think this will be the last week on the Trinity. And so we'll start with some review. A lot of you maybe uh, have not been here for the first few lessons that we talked about the Trinity. So we started by talking about how God is simple. So can somebody tell me what does it mean when we say that God is simple? This is your catechism. We're trying to make sure you remember these things. You look like you want to... No. Not made up of parts. Yep. Uh, So he is one, which means he is made up of one thing. He is made up of not a bunch of things, not a bunch of parts. And so... That is relevant to knowing about God as the Trinity because it means that God is not made up of three parts. So God is not a pie split into three, Father, Son, and Spirit, but he is made up of one thing, made up only of himself. He is what he is. That's what his name means. He he exists because he exists. He depends on nothing else to feed him, to fuel him, to create his existence. He is what he is, as Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay, so if there is one God, one being, then what is it that distinguishes the three persons of the Trinity? What is it that makes God three? Chris. They... Right, their relationship. And what are those relationships? Father, Son, and Spirit. Good. And so what does that mean? What does the Father do? Somebody? You look like you know. (laughs) The Father begets the Son. The Father generates the Son. And what does the son do? He, well, he is the begotten. He is begotten of the father. He is generated by the father. And then the spirit is the one who proceeds from the father and the son. Okay, so that is how they are distinct in their relationships. Um, Father is not the son, son's not the father, spirit isn't father or son. Um, There's the begetter, the begotten, and the proceeding from father and son. Okay, so then last time, two weeks ago, we talked about how the Godhead is one. So in what ways is God one? He is one in what things? Um, I mentioned five last week. We studied five last time. Can you remember any? Power. What else? Can you think of any others? Glory. Glory. Okay, what else? Will. Will. Yeah, that was the one we focused on. Good. So activity, knowledge, power, life, and will were the five that we studied 
last time. So that is how they are, um, how the being of God is, is one. Because the Father, Son, and Spirit, they are all one will, one life, one activity, one knowledge. Okay, so today we're going to keep drawing off of all of those things that we've talked about. Um, I, we're, just because of time, we're not going to go back to all those passages that we've looked at. So some of you might be frustrated for you know, the first two-thirds of the class. You might be like, why aren't we looking at the Bible? Well, it's because we've looked at all those passages in the Bible. Uh, John 5 was one, I think, that is most clear about the, the one activity of the Father and Son. So we're not going to go back to all of that, but we're going to kind of just keep drawing out lessons and implications of, of things that we've looked at in those kinds of places. So today we're going to talk about what is a person. What does it mean to be a person? And we're going to talk about this big word here, subsistence subsistence. So today we're going to focus on the three, and we've been talking about how God is one. That's very important. Uh, There's one being in God, but what is it that's three? What does it mean to be three persons? Let me read from Gregory of Nazianzen. Uh, He says, no sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them then I am carried back to the one. When I think of any one of the three, I think of him as the whole, and my eyes are filled, and the greater part of what I am thinking escapes me. When I contemplate the three together, I see but one torch and cannot divide or measure out the undivided light. Um, So that's a famous saying of his, but he's making the point that God is one. And so there's one torch, and you can't divide the light. At what point does the light, Jesus, the sun, is the radiance of the glory of God. At what point does the radiance become different from the one? Well, it's it's hard to to grasp. But this, this saying, what he's saying here is, whenever I think of the one, I think of the three. And then every time I think of the three, it brings me back to the one. And so that's, that's how it is. That's why it's complex for us. But we're going to try to think about the three. Okay, so there are three persons. And the normal term that we use in our day is person. One God and three person. And there's nothing wrong with that word person. But there can be some misunderstandings about that word to say that there are three persons in God. Um, so one day in the 1600s, there are some Baptists getting together, and they talk to each other, and they say, you know what, maybe we should try using a different word in our confession of faith. Maybe instead of using the word person, we should use something else. So in the Second London Confession, uh, this is what it says. You can look it up in your hymnal if you want on page 672. We've looked at it before. Um, Chapter 2, paragraph 3 of the Second London Confession, page 672. It says, In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences. Three subsistences. 
So, here's that big word in the confession. So I don't know if you've ever noticed that before, um, but it, is, it does make you question, why would they use this word subsistence? So it says there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Father, Son, and Spirit, they are saying are three subsistences. So remember, some of you might know, remember that the Second London Confession is based on Westminster, the Presbyterians, and the Savoy Declaration, which was the Congregationalist. And so Baptists, um, they said in their confession, we have no itch to clog religion with new words, um, which is a great sentence, that uh, they had no desire to come up with some new religion or to be these radical people. They wanted to be at the table with the Presbyterians and Congregationalists and, and Orthodox Christians. So they're not trying to make up anything, but they were Baptists. And so they wanted their own confession that was Baptist. And so they added some things about the church and baptism, but they also changed some words. They didn't just copy and paste Westminster Confession and, and add some Baptist stuff to it. They changed some of the words. So um, person is what Westminster used and Savoy used. So in their same place, chapter 2, um, they said there's one God in three persons. And so the Baptist thought it was better to use the word subsistence in 1689. So remember that for the first hundred years of the church, uh, the church was speaking Greek and speaking Latin. And so they were using words to talk about the Trinity, like hypostasis as a Greek word, and um, usia. Usia means essence. And then in Latin, they were using words like persona, and substantia. Okay, so there you are. You're in England. You're in Newcastle in 1650. And you're reading books about hypostases and usias and substantias. Are you going to understand what any of that means? Um, are you going to know what they're trying to say about God? You're not. So here's the problem. So we have all of this talk about the Trinity but now we're speaking English, so what words do we use to talk about God in English? And so a lot of people came up with the word person in English. But what do you think? What might be confusing about using the word person when we're talking about God and the three persons of God? What might be confusing or misleading? Yes? Right. right, right. so an individual of his own. Um, and so the things we've been talking about, uh, one will, one knowledge, one life, well, to us, that's a person. So if you're one person, that means you have your own will and your own life. So that would mean three gods, if you think of a person that way. Can you think of anything else? Any that might be confusing about that? 
Ari? Human, yeah. Right, so obviously the Son of God eventually takes on flesh, but it's not directly correlated that to be a person of God is to be human. And so that's what we think of the person, yeah. Yeah. Right, so it might be hard for us to conceive of an eternal person. A person seems to be created, generated. Um, yeah, so those are some reasons that that word might be confusing. Uh, in the 1600s, there was a group of people called Socinians. They were heretics. Uh, that was the main heresy of the day. Today, uh, Unitarians, the Unitarian Church, they're modern-day Socinians. They're this, the same thing. All heresies get recycled. And so the Socinians of those days were saying basically what we just said. Well, if you have three persons, then that means you have three gods. And so they reject that. They only believed in one god, so they said one god means one person in God. And so that might be one reason that... The Baptists use the word subsistence. Um, another reason is because this is related to the word persona. In English, what do we mean by a persona? Persona is a, yeah, a character that you're playing, or a front. So you're a, you're a Chinese spy, but uh, your persona is that you're just a normal member of Albany Baptist Church, but you're actually a Chinese spy. Um, so, so you're putting on a persona, you're wearing a mask. And that was how the word was used in Latin um, for people in the theater. People who were actors, they were playing a persona. And so some people thought, well, this is telling us about God, that God is just wearing a mask. And so at one point, he appears as father. At another point, he appears as son. At another point, he appears as the Holy Spirit. So persona or person. So what do you think? Can we use the word person? To talk about God, God in three persons. Well, it's it's okay to do that, um, as long. As, yes, Leo. Good job. As long as you understand what we mean by the word person. Um, so here are three things. I don't know if you'll be able to see this. Um, this is from Joel Beakey. Three things that make a person. A person according, you know, in the Godhead, not according to like a human being. But so number one, when we talk about the persons of God, we're saying that the persons are relational. They have a relationship with each other. Um, so John 17, 24, Jesus says, I desire that they may see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
So that's just one verse. We see that relationship. The Father loves the Son. So part of what it means to be a person is to be in a relationship. You can't be in a relationship if there are no other people around, right? And so if God was only one person, he would have no other relationships unless he would create something. So um, if God is eternal, and um, if God is eternally in a relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, then that's what makes the three persons. That's part of what it means to be three persons. We talked about that a lot um, before, about the relationships between them. Um, so then the other one is, a person is rational. So the Father, Son, and Spirit all have a mind. They all have a mind. This is hard to, un to, to think about because for us, a mind is related to our brain. Uh, but technically, according to the Bible, your mind is not just in your brain. Okay, so, so if, if you die and you're without a body, your soul, at least for a little while, your soul will be up in heaven and you'll, you'll be able to think. Does that make sense? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's hard to understand, but that's what the Bible says. So we're rational people because of our mind. And that's not because that's not you have a brain. It's because of it's part of your spirit or your soul. So in 1 Corinthians 2.10, it says, The spirit searches everything even the depths of God. So I'm not sure a drawing would be helpful, but here's the, here's the knowledge of God, and it's all one knowledge, and yet the Spirit has his mind so that the Spirit searches all of these things. The Spirit searches the mind of God, and then he reveals those things to us. And that's what Jesus says in John 16, 14, and 15. He says that the Spirit will take what is mine, and he will give it to you. So the Spirit takes the knowledge of the Son and gives it to us. And then he also says that that knowledge that the Son has is given to him by the Father. So you see both things and again, we already went over the one knowledge thing, so I won't go into that too much. But you see that they share the same knowledge because the Father eternally gives that knowledge to the Son and the Spirit eternally searches these deep things of God. And yet they're distinct with their own minds because the Spirit can then share those things with us. Um, and then the third aspect is a person is unique. So a person has a unique identity. And basically all that means is that a person is not a thing. So a bolt is a thing. And if you're working on your lawnmower and a bolt breaks in your lawnmower, you can get a bolt that is exactly the same thing and just plug it in and use the bolt to fix your lawnmower. But you can't do that with person, with people. So 
It's not like God is sitting around saying, you know what, um, I'm not sure who, who to beget. Should I beget the Son or the Spirit? Uh, uh, I'll, I'll just decide to beget the Son. That's not how it works. Or, uh, you know, they're not just sitting around deciding, you know what, who should, who should come into the world and take on flesh? Let's pick the Son. Um, because they're all unique. They're unique by being unique persons. And so, what makes the Son unique is that he is the one who's begotten. And what makes the Spirit unique is that he is the one who proceeds. That's what makes him a person. And all of this, remember, is eternal. Eternal relationships of Father, Son, and Spirit. So, if, if you can at least mostly wrap your head around those three things, then you can use the word person, okay? <laughs> so, uh, when we say one God in three persons, we're saying that the Son has a relationship, he has his own mind, and he is unique. He's not an interchangeable part with the Father and the Spirit. Okay, well, what about this word, subsistence? Anybody want to, just, just tell me, what does that word mean when you see it? Does that make any sense to you? Or you want to try to guess what that word means. I'm not expecting you to know what it means. But what does it make you think of, if anything? Yes. Okay, what something is or is made of or exists as. Good. Does anybody want to offer anything else? Paul? Subsistence farming. What does that mean? <laughs> um, my under, well, any farmers want to tell us? Subsistence farming, I think, is you live off of, you subsist off of what you grow, right? Um, so you're not buying stuff from the outside. So you're both on the right track. So subsist is to exist. It's a fancy word for existing. 1600s word, I guess. So let me read you some definitions. Um, Richard Mueller says, subsistence, in this context, is an individual instance of a given essence. An instance. Now, I'm not, you know, what does an instance mean? That's your next question. Um, it's something that is happening, that exists. Um, so remember, I mean, remember that this is, we're talking about persons here. So dirt, dirt exists. Trees exist. They subsist. Um, so remember, we're talking about the subsistences of God. Um, here are a couple from John Gill. John Gill says, The three in the Godhead are not just three modes, but three distinct persons in a different mode of subsisting. 
a different mode of subsisting, who are really distinct from one another. Then he says, a person is an individual that subsists. Okay? (laughs) And then he says, et cetera. And I'm like, wow. How do you put et cetera? What's the et cetera mean? Um, But a person is an individual that subsists. Okay. So I will substitute the word existing. It's just an, an individual existing of God. Uh, John Calvin, by person then, I mean a subsistence in the divine essence. A subsistence which, while related to the other two, so the person's related to the other two persons, um, while related is distinguished from them by incommunicable properties. And those properties are begetting, begotten, proceeding. Um, so, um, an instance of an, uh, some individual from the divine essence. Okay, then here's John Owen. Divine person is nothing but the divine essence on the account of a special property subsisting in a special manner. So, the being of God existing in a special manner is a person. I'm sorry that I can't do any better than that. I can't explain any further. Uh, Not even Gill or Owen or Calvin explain any further than that. That's as far as they go. So um, try to understand it as uh, the existence in its individual, an individual of the divine being of God. Okay, now maybe you've heard of modalism. Anybody know what modalism is? Right, so um, modalism is that there is only one person and one God and that he existed at three different points in three different ways. So he appears in the Old Testament in the mode of Father. In the New Testament, he then appeared as the Son and then after the Son rose, he appeared as the Spirit. So it's like a transformer. He he shape shifts into three different ways. Um, so modalism today is around with uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes. He's a modalist. Uh, oneness Pentecostalism. So the Oneness Pentecostal Church is modalist. Back in the day, it was called Sabellianism. There's a, a, a false teacher named Sabellius. And then you may have heard of Servetus um, in John Calvin's day. Um, Servetus was a heretic who was burned at the stake. Uh, He was burned at the stake by the city council of Geneva. Okay, so it's not like John Calvin was there and lighting the fire for Servetus. Uh, But the city council of Geneva burned Servetus at the stake uh, for being a modalist. And modalism uh, is a heresy, but it's not the same as modes of subsistence. Um, so what all these guys are saying that I just read before, they're not saying that God existed at one point as 
the Father, and then at another point as the Son, and at another point as the Spirit. But that his mode of subsistence is all at the same time. From eternity, um, God is existing as Father, Son, and Spirit. So he's not shifting and changing. Okay, well, so far we've talked about the being of God and who he is, we call internally. But now we're going to talk a little bit about externally how God works with uh, creation and with the world. And he's made the world and he created time. So how does God exist as himself, as one God in three persons um, in the world that he's created? So um, remember that everything God does, all of God's activity is one. So one God, one activity, one will. Romans eleven thirty six says, From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Now, I don't think that's talking about the Father, but about all of God. From the three persons of God are all things. Everything comes from their one will. Everything happens through their activity, and everything happens for them and for their glory. So, the works of God are not separated technically. Okay? So, we can't divide the being of God in his works. But... The word that people use is the word appropriate. And uh, you know what appropriate means? Like there's dress code that is appropriate for certain occasions. There's behavior that's appropriate. And so it is appropriate to talk about certain actions of God by using, talking about the person, the specific person, even though technically it's all the one God doing those things. So here's an analogy that many people use, uh, the analogy of the ocean. So if you go out to Maine and you look at the ocean, what ocean are you looking at? Atlantic, good job. <laughs> If you go to India, and you're at the southern part of India, and you look out at the ocean, what ocean are you looking at? Indian Ocean. If you go to Japan, and you look to the east, what ocean are you looking at? Pacific. Or is it all really one ocean? Yes. So aren't you looking at the same ocean that uh, if you're in Maine, that the person in Japan is looking at. It's just, you know, takes a long way to get around there. And the same with India. So I mean, I'm not a marine person, but biology person, but I don't know at what point, what point does the Indian Ocean stop being the Indian Ocean and become the Pacific Ocean? I'm not sure, but, but they are words, they are words terms that we appropriate to different parts of the ocean, but it's really one ocean. And so 
Some people use that as an analogy for the works of the Trinity. Um, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1, uh, and we see how different aspects are appropriated to different persons of the work of God. Ephesians 1, um, we're talking here about God's decree to save people. So verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, in Christ. So we'll stop there for now. So who decreed, who decided to save the church, to save us? The, the, the overall answer is God, all of God. But it is appropriated that the election of, the, of God's people is appropriated to the Father. The Father chose us. So we bless the Father because he chose us. But then look what it says. He chose us in him. He chose us in Christ. So if, even, even though time doesn't exist at this point, this is before time, we can say at the same time, the Father in the will of God decides he's going to choose. He is choosing in Christ. And so the Son has to, in a sense, agree. Agree to do what's necessary to be, for us to be chosen in, in him. Um, so then down in verse 5, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So chose us, yes, but he chose us through Christ. And then go down to verse 13. In him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, so the applying of salvation is, is also a work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's appropriated to the Spirit. So we're talking about the decree of God. Um, who chose you? God. Who saved you? God. The one God. Father, Son, and Spirit. But when we describe how that happens, how we appropriate it, we say the Father elects through the Son by the Spirit. Um, because they all had to agree with their own rational minds, they all had to agree to be part of this work of salvation. But yet they do it all at the same time because there's one will in God. So again, maybe the oceans analogy will help. So the decree of God is the one ocean, and yet we'll say the Indian Ocean part is the Holy Spirit, the Pacific Ocean part is the Father, the Atlantic part is the Son, if you want to distinguish it that way. So John Owen says it this way, It is true that the will of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is one. It's a natural property, and where there is one nature, 
there is one will. So there's one nature of God, there's one will of God. But in respect of their distinct personal actings, the will is appropriated to them respectively. Okay? So we are describing, we're appropriating to them different aspects of the one will. Okay, I think we're going to stop there. Um, So, just try to summarize again, just repeat myself. The works of God are one, one being, one work, one God, but we can describe different aspects of the one work as appropriate to each person of the Trinity, and those works from the outside reflect who God is in his being as Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, So maybe before we pray, we can sing this again.